0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to see anybody after uh, the storm we had last night. I'll tell you what, uh, I was thinking uh, about you know, the Memorial Day weekend and, and uh, reminiscing about some, uh, some pictures from uh, my grandfather's grandfather's time of service that my uncle had posted and all. And so in the middle of the night, you, this humongous boom happens enough to, to rattle us and wake us up. And I thought the Air Force was going through some kind of training in the middle of the night or some reenactment or something. But let me tell you, it had so much force. We live close to the air base. It had so much force that it knocked Callie out of her bed. It knocked her across her bedroom floor. It knocked her through the hallway. knocked her into our bedroom, across the floor, and right up in the bed between me and Tressa. That's how big and powerful that boom of thunder was. So I'm glad that you survived that uh, as as we did too. You know, you think about this, this weekend and we take time to reflect and we reflect on you know, the blessings that we have because of those who have served for us and because of us. And I think about one of the greatest blessings we have is the, the marvelous blessing to have in our possession, the entirety of Scripture. Anywhere, anytime, in pretty much any form, we have God's Word. And what a blessing it is that I think we probably all at some times take for granted, not intentionally, but sometimes we just, you know, it's so prevalent, it's so readily accessible that we just don't think much about it. But what a marvelous blessing that anywhere, anytime, in nearly any language, you can access and grasp God's Word and His truth. And the whole Scripture has been given to us to enable us to live life to the fullest and to fully understand in realistic, practical manners what this life is all about. God is tremendously interested in life. And don't let anybody ever fool you and tell you differently. God is very interested in this life. Not just eternal life, but very much this life. Because we are here and He's interested in us. And so you cannot read the New Testament. You can't flip through the pages without realizing that the Lord Jesus did not really give a flip about the Sabbath regulations of his day that men had instated to, to to build themselves up and to help themselves out when they were set them against the need of the poor, the need of the hurting, the need of the crippled and the lame. And so in that instance, Jesus revealed the heart of God, for certainly God is not interested in stained glass windows. He's not interested in in our elaborate wordy prayers. He's not interested in our congregational hymns near as much. Near as much. Half as much as He is in producing love-filled homes. As He is in producing generous hearts. As He is in the brave men and women who each day of their lives live in the middle of the world and keep their heads and their hearts focused on Him. That's where God is interested. And I'm deeply convinced that we can only understand life. This life that we are in when we see the Bible as the Bible sees life. And when we see life as the Bible sees it, that's why God has given us His Word so that we can see. And so in this world of organized human society and a world filled with with, uh, worries about commerce and trade and business, a world filled with recreation and all of the familiar makeup of life that we enjoy and we experience from day to day, we are continually exposed to these illusions, these facades indistinguishably mixed with reality. And so sometimes it's hard to tell them apart, what's real and what's not. And we're confronted with fake news. We're confronted with distorted perspectives, twisted motives from people around us, uncertain hopes, untested programs. And so when we come to the Bible, we learn the truth. And it's here where reality is set before us, the world as it really is. Revealed to us in God's Word. When we get down to the bare essentials of it, when we strip it down, strip away all of the, 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 the confusing illusion, we find it exactly how the Bible records it to be. This is life. This is God's view of life. The Creator of life. And He gives us His Word. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The condemned and the redeemed. Revealed to us and for us. In His Holy Word. And so here's where our perspectives get straight. Here's where we correct our vision. Here's where we get our value systems righted in God's Word and our dreams weighted. and our dreams evaluated as to whether they're real or only make-believe. And the Apostle Paul wrote this marvelous letter that we know as Ephesians, as his analysis of life, especially as it relates to a Christian. And so Paul's view of the basic characteristic of life is put into one word. Struggle. Life is about struggle. It's about striving. It's about being challenged. It's about fighting through. Time and time again Paul writes about this. This conflict. This combat. This struggle of life. This continual wrestling. And we confirm this every single day because we know this. We live this. And we experience this. But it's not wrong to dream dreams filled with romantic ideals. It's not wrong to to dream about the the wonderful future. After all, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And we long for that. We dream about that. And we look for that. We work for that. And this faithful follower longs for eternity with God. And I love how Paul began this letter, this writing, reminding us to hold on to that dream. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, he writes, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So, the praise of God's glory, the praise of His glory is to bring all of us into Christ Jesus, into His kingdom, under Christ's lordship, loving presence for eternity. That's God's glory. And although Paul begins this letter with this reminder, the flickering memory remains of what was once God's intent as He placed man and woman in that Garden of Eden. God's intent for human life and God's good order in time will be realized once again as God is working to restore Eden, eternal Eden, with those who are faithful to Him. But the Apostle Paul is not dealing with that kind of life in Ephesians. He's coming to grips with life as it really is today. Life as we face it right now. And he says life's a struggle. Life is a conflict. He says life is combat against opposing forces. It's a fight. And if we attempt to ignore it or get away from the struggle, then we continually find ourselves shaken back to reality. We're woken up, awakened every day by some circumstance of life, somebody in our life, something that comes into our life, some unpleasant reality sticks its unwelcome self into our beautiful world, our beautiful moment, refuses to go away. And So we all know how this is. Because then we must get back to work. Vacation's over. It's time to get back. Or death of a loved one imposes itself on our beautiful life and leaves us with emptiness and loneliness. Or we remember some pressing decision that we must make. It's weighing on us. Or some threatening decision person or circumstance or our prosperity or our health. shakes us back to reality. Some disappointment in another person. Perhaps somebody very close to us. We're constantly drawn back out of our dreams of ease and enjoyment. We face the rough, harsh, real realities of life. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul urges us because of this, live, walk, Worthily of the calling with which you have been called. We are called as one new person in Christ Jesus. Brought together, unified, living not only among one another in holiness, but also in unity. United together in Jesus Christ. And so the struggle with living in holiness and living with unity is really, that's the spiritual war that we face every day is living this out. It goes on within us and it goes on around us. Spiritual war. and Paul wants us to know and understand the blessings of this new life in Christ are very real and beautiful and wonderful. This new life, this new person in Jesus Christ. But he also wants us to know and to understand that this universal struggle that we all face in Jesus Christ to obtain and maintain this life, this struggle is not me against you. The struggle is not you against me. It's not us against them. This very real struggle that we face every day and we experience is God versus Satan. It's a spiritual war that's going on all around us and within us. God versus Satan. And we in our submission to God, we're used as pawns of Satan even while we live and and, and love and, and work and appreciate being the prize of God. We're still used as Satan's pawn as they fight it out in this unseen cosmic battle for our souls. And not only our souls, but for all creation. This war that's going on. And the battle is not ours to win. And that's where we've got to come to a realization today. This is not our battle to win. Because God has already won. See, the battle is won. We're still caught up in the effects of this battle. But the battle is won. The conqueror has conquered. And as we learned in chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. His poem, you remember this word. His creation. His hand-formed creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so our position in this cosmic battle, which although it's still being fought, is truly a losing battle for Satan. He's fighting a losing battle. But our position is one of defense, not offense. And that should bring us comfort while it also explains for us this struggle that we live in. This whole letter of Ephesians is to remind us, to encourage us, to implore us to stand firm, to stand our ground in the faith That we have come to to embrace and to know. And the only way we can do that, as Paul concludes in chapter 6 and verse 10, is finally be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers... Against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Robert, catch me up, please. For this reason, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day, and having done everything, to stand. And he says, Stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and with every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and to this end be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the saints." apologize for the resolution is off on the projector, but read along on your text on your device or in the Scriptures there in front of you on your paper. But the Apostle Paul also says that this is a fluctuating struggle. It fluctuates back and forth and we got to learn to stand. Stand firm. And he says stand in the evil day. In the evil day. And the implication here is that not all days are evil. And we, we know this. We experience this. There are going to come times that are worse than the others. There are going to come times that are going to be harder for us. There are seasons in this passing life where pressures are more intense. There are seasons where the problems in our life are are more insoluble, where everything seems to come upon us at once. There are days like that. Seasons like that. We recognize those evil days. Sometimes it's an actual day. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it may be years. That we feel this and we are experience this. But thank God that not all of life is that way. We know it's not. We're not always under pressure, though sometimes it feels that way. But when we look backwards, we see that we were not always in this moment. We're not always being confronted with overpowering circumstances, which call for all kinds of agonizing decisions. And the reason we're not always is because of the grace of God, this grace that He pours out, He lavishes on us and we should appreciate that see all of life would be an evil day except for the grace of god all of life and much worse if it were not for his grace continually operates to restrain the forces of evil to hold them back as much as possible while we live in this this humanness this 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 temporal world and to allow for these times of refreshing the good days the good moments the blessings that we experience. And the truly tragic thing about human life is that we can take those times of refreshing, we can take those times of blessing and glory, and we can enjoy them without one single thought for the goodness of God who allowed that to happen. It's happened to you because it's happened to me. You go through an entire day or an entire moment reflecting back, you say, wow, I I I didn't even say, Lord, thank you. Wow, how does that happen? Because we're human. That's how it happens. It's a tragic thing, but it happens. So Paul says these days, though they're not always the same in pressure, they constitute the general makeup of life. Generally, the days are evil. Evil days. Life is an unending struggle. It varies in intensity from time to time, but extending from the cradle to the grave, you can guarantee it. Life is a struggle. So what Paul is." Inspired and experienced firsthand. His firsthand analysis of a definition for us as to the nature of this struggle. He says this conflict that you experience is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humanity. It's not a human problem. It's not a struggle of man against man. And it may be a struggle within us, but it's not a struggle with us. It's not a struggle against us. He assures us. It's not flesh and blood. You've got to look below the surface. You've got to get below and see who's there and who's affecting this. And why is this happening? And what's the cure for it? And how do we experience the cure? It's not against flesh and blood. How would you answer this if somebody said, what's the thing in your life that gives you the most difficulty? What is it? What's the the greatest struggle of your life? What does that consist of? How would you answer it? Another human being? Somebody said life would be great if it weren't for people. <laughs> we feel that way sometimes, don't we? Work would be great if I didn't have to work with other people. You know, what is that struggle that we experience? Is it other people? Is it terrorists? Is it people who are ignorant drivers? <laughs> is it my neighbor? Is it a coworker? What is it that is the struggle of life? Is it a, a, a boss? Is it a child? Is it a parent? Is it perhaps your spouse? Is it an in-law? Is it those Democrats? Or those Republicans? What is the basis for the struggle of life? What about those people? Or what about that person? And as we look at life in such a, a superficial way, just skimming the surface, then we're tempted to say that our problem is other people. Our problem is them or that. And so we struggle against flesh and blood. But that's not the battle. The Apostle says you can't explain life adequately on that level. You can't get to the heart of life when we just skim the surface. It's deeper than that because people come and go. Yet problems persist, don't they? Problems remain. Struggles remain. People are not just people. People are people who are affected They're affected by this cosmic battle between God and Satan, this good and evil. You've got to look further. You've got to look deeper than that. The problem is not against flesh and blood. The problem, rather, is set against the whole human race. It's a spiritual battle between God and the ruler of this world, the prince of darkness. And so there's your problem, Paul says. That's the enemy we're up against. And until we can recognize that and admit that, We cannot stand firm because we're constantly trying to battle each other or battle someone else in our life. The whole race, the whole humanity is opposed by these principalities and these powers, these world rulers of the present darkness, as Scripture tells us. So why do people act and react the way they do? Why are all these knuckleheads in the world? Because they're not strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In that moment, And in that situation, or perhaps any time, and neither are we. And what did Paul say? Verse 13. For this reason, knowing this, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day and having done everything to stand. Take up what? Whose armor? Take up my armor? Take up your armor? Take up grandma's armor? He says take up God's armor, the armor of God. Be strong in whom? In the Lord. In His strength. In His might. And this entire beautiful letter is about what God has done and is doing for us when we meditate on this, when our thoughts are filled with this reality, when we allow our lives to be led by His Spirit, given to us, then we are changed. He changes us. And that's what living under new management is all about. Living as Christ with our head, our ruler, our leader, our director, our manager of our life. And Paul needs us to know what's been revealed to him by God. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we in turn, we've got to stand firm on faith and assurance of this. So how do you explain what's going on in the world? How do you explain what's happening all around us? How do you explain what's going on in your life? How do you explain the, the entrenched evil in human affairs? How do you explain it? Well, isn't it clear that we can't understand life unless we begin here? We've got to begin here with the source. We can't understand history. If we reject the proposition that, that the Apostle brings out here, the, the, the behind the problems of the world, behind all the evil atrocities, The unimaginable things that occur, which are revealed in mankind from time to time. Behind all of this works the devil and his angels, the ruler of the present darkness. You want to be relevant to the world around you? What could be more relevant than this teaching, than this understanding, which puts its finger on the basic problem? It's Satan, it's this battle between good and evil. Warring for us, for our souls. That's what's going on. It's easy to blame the thief. It's easy to blame the murderer. It's easy to blame the the liar. It's easy to blame that selfish jerk. It's easy to blame them because then our inability to deal with the problem of evil is masked and our attempts to shut out or shut up anyone who opposes us. Takes the focus off of what I need to do and puts it on them. Well, the problem's then. No, the problem's in here, in each one of us, and in each one of them. The problem is in here. It's in our hearts. The problem is spiritual. Instead of realizing and remembering that the battle belongs to the Lord, when we get distracted by that, we put the focus on other people. And for us, we are to stand. Not run forward. Not retreat. But stand our ground. Stand firm, He said. The higher ground where we've been placed by God in Christ Jesus because of His marvelous grace. Stand firm in the faith. And the Lord Jesus Himself puts His finger on the whole problem when He says to certain men of His day who never got it and wrongly accused Jesus of being fake in John chapter 8. In verse 44, He says, You people are from your father the devil and you want to do whatever your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not uphold the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he lies, he speaks according to his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. There you go. In that most amazing analysis, the Lord stripped the devil of all of his disguises and revealed his true nature. There are no secrets here. Satan is a liar, and he's a murderer. And He puts that very action and intent in the hearts of other people. And they accept it. And then He can use them. They let themselves be used to carry out His will. And still the will of God. And that most amazing analysis. When the devil does this, it's because of who he is. That's who he is. He's a liar and a murderer. The devil's work is to deceive and destroy. What? Creation. Who? Us. All of us. And so there you have in Scripture the explanation for every single thing that puzzles you, that appalls you, that dumbfounds you about what has gone on in human history and what's going on today. It's right there in the Scripture. There's the answer. Don't fret about it. God has told us what's going on, it's Satan trying to give up, not give up the ghost. God's already pulled it out of him. That's what's going on in the world around us. So the devil made me do it? We'd like to think so, because that makes it easy. I wasn't in control. The devil made me do it against my own decision. It's become kind of a joke in society. And pride, my own pride, wants me to think that I couldn't be responsible for these sinful choices I can't be responsible for what I've done or what I'm thinking. The devil's making me do it. No, he puts the bait out there. But it's every bit 100% my choice to take it. Because I'm not ignorant of it. Because my God and His love for me has revealed to me the schemes of the devil. He tells me what's going on. Sean, that's fake. Don't do it. Did God really say not to eat of that fruit, Sean? Yeah, but I don't think He meant it. It's someone else's fault. As we read earlier from James chapter 4 and verse 7, Submit to God, but resist the devil. And He's going to what? Flee from you. Yeah, but He's still hanging around. But Scripture says resist Him, and He will flee. Unfortunately, you're right. God doesn't give us a timeline. And that's, oh, that's so hard. (laughs) Because God, I want to know what i got. You know, I want to know, alright, if I I eat this food for three weeks, then I'm going to lose this much weight, right? Amen. (laughs) I want to know, God, if I resist for a couple of days, He's going to leave, right? God doesn't tell us that. God says resist. How long? Until. Until He flees. That's the hard part. It's hard. It's hard because in our human ability, we're weak. It's our weakness. It's why we're in a position of sinfulness to start with. It's how we got here. So Paul implores us. Chapter 6 and verse 13. For this reason, because you know this. Because Paul says, I've told you this. God's revealed it to me and now I've revealed it to you. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand, Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and with every prayer, And petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And to this end, be alert. Pay attention. Watch out. With all perseverance and requests for all the saints. This battle belongs to the Lord. It's His armor. It's His truth that He gives us. It's His righteousness. It's His gospel of peace. It's His proven character which instills faith in Him because of who He is and what He's done. And that allows us to resist the devil and one day fully experience, fully enjoy this victory party with our Deliverer, with Jesus Christ and God our Father. And over the next few weeks, we're going to break this down. We're going to look specifically at these implements of resistance that Paul gives us here to be mindful of, which God has provided for us and tells us to take it up in the efforts to stand firm. But today, the question is, do you believe there's a battle going on that is beyond our human ability? A battle that's beyond our human ability to witness. A battle that the only proof thereof is that we have blatant evil in this society that we can't explain and understand at times. And and proof of our own sinful choices that we make even though we pray and strive not to. We still do it. See, the devil's already been defeated, but he's writhing about like a serpent whose head's been crushed, trying with every last breath within him, wildly thrashing about, still doing damage, still luring people away, still influencing the willing soul whose stamina and fortitude to resist have been weakened by grace you have been saved through faith. Not because of any one single thing that you have or have not done. By grace you have been saved through faith. Simply and only by the gift of God. And with that gift comes this warning. This instruction. This provision to stand firm against these continuous attacks of Satan. And against those who submit to his seducing ways. And so my question today is, do we believe that there is a spiritual war going on around us and within us? Do we believe that? Because until we believe it, we cannot address it. Because we're gonna, we don't need this armor of God if we believe the problem is everyone else. If we believe the problem is out there. If we don't recognize the problem is in here with each and every human being who has ever breathed life. The problem is within. It's a spiritual battle. But God has given us the provision to stand firm. But we've got to take it up. We've got to put it on. And we've got to be steadfast every single day and recommit ourselves to doing that. And this morning, perhaps you are weak. Weak in this battle. This battle to... Remain faithful to God because of sin, because of life. This morning, God calls you to repent. You've recognized it. You confess that and you repent of it. And God is faithful and true and He will forgive. He will do that because of His Son, Jesus Christ, who has put on that very sin for each and every one of us. He carried that sin to the cross as we memorialize this morning around this table. As He gave Himself freely for us, He shed His blood, but He also shed His glory and became sin for us. And because of that, we can put on Christ in baptism. Die to ourselves as we are plunged in the water. As God makes us clean, not from the washing of the flesh, but the cleansing of our heart. Purifying of our conscience. And this morning, He calls us to do that. Will you put on Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior? Will you ask His forgiveness so that your life can be free from this sin, so that you can once again stand firm in the armor of God? And this morning, as we assemble together as the body of Christ, the family of God, if we can pray for you, with you, as we encourage you, if we can celebrate your decision to become a child of God in baptism, will you make that choice this morning as we stand and sing this good song?